My name's Dan. I'm the lead pastor here, and it's great to continue this series today to talk about living generously. Now, thank you to all of those who came to support the families as they're dedicating their children today. And uh, you came at a very interesting time because, you know, some churches talk about money all the time. That's not us. In fact, it's been uh, about three years since we did a series that talked about being generous and things like that. So don't think, if this is your first time here, even if you didn't come for that, but you came for some other reason, thinking, oh, I'm at church, they're gonna talk about money. That's not what we do all the time. We rarely do that here. But we are in a series to help us navigate the journey of life that is, uh, uh, can be culminated in living generously. That's what we've been talking about. And so far, just to bring you up to speed, we've discovered a few things. We've discovered that we are all rich. Remember that one? Right, if you were here and you still don't believe it, but you are, we are all rich. But with that comes some dangers and some challenges. And we investigated those challenges and said, okay, the way to combat those was this. If we wanna live generously, we need to trust God, be content, content and do good. That's how we combat the dangers of being rich. And then last week, we looked at the fact, a guiding truth that really flips this on its head is that we actually don't own anything. It's all God's. So we are not owners, we are just stewards. And because of that, we need to be asking this question, how will I use the resources he provides to honor him? So now you're up to speed. If you missed any of those uh, messages before, go back uh, to our, our app, the YouTube channel, all those things, and get caught up because that will help you. By the way, if you're thinking again about this whole money thing in church, this series, even if you're not a follower of Jesus, if you apply the principles to daily living, it's actually gonna help you uh, in life. So today, I want us to look at the only thing that Jesus talked about more than money. I told you this in the first week of the series. Do you remember what it was? Who said that? Kingdom of God, the sound man. He was working sound, making sure I sound good and listening at the same time. Gold star to you, Mr. Sound Man. So we're gonna talk about the kingdom of God and we're gonna discover that the kingdom of God and living generously go hand in hand. The kingdom of God, a distinct characteristic of it is living generously generously. One of his disciples called Matthew, a disciple is a guy that went around following Jesus while he was here and learning from Jesus. He wrote about the life of Jesus. And in chapter six of his writing, we're going to read something that Jesus said about the kingdom. Now, the reason we're going to read what Jesus said is because when Jesus says something, we believe he's worth listening to. If you're not a church person or a Jesus person, just accept that fact right now for us and hang with us through the rest of the message today. But Jesus said some things and he talked about not trusting things on this earth, but trusting him. And, and he said, my God will supply all your needs. He made sure that, God, that we understood that we could trust God. And then he says this in verse 33 of chapter six, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. You see how those are connected. If you seek the kingdom first, he will give you everything that you need. So we learn a principle here that living generously puts God's kingdom first. Living generously says kingdom first. That's gonna come first in my life in every aspect. Because God can be trusted, I'm gonna put his kingdom first. Now that's countercultural. 
because we're rich people. And you know what rich people do? Rich people trust their possessions. They trust in power. They trust in position to get them ahead in life. That's what rich people do. We're rich people. That's our natural bent or tendency. Jesus says, that's the world system and it promotes and supports that. But mine is different. My kingdom is very different. He says this in verse 19. Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Very simple, Jesus says. If you put your treasures here, there's moths, there's rust, there's thieves. That's a bad investment. If you store your treasures in heaven, there's no moss, there's no rust, there's no thieves, better investment. It's a really good investment, right? That is so simple. Look at what he says next. This one, we could spend a series on this verse, okay? He says this, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Let that sink in for a second where your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. You know, usually we think that our money, our time, everything that we do, everything that we find valuable follows our heart, right? We're gonna put our money where our heart is. Jesus says, that's actually not how it works. Where you have chosen to put your treasure, your heart's gonna follow after that because that's what's important to you. You wanna protect that. If you have stocks and you can watch them online and everything, I have no idea about how all this stuff works. But when you put an investment in a portfolio, you can go online apparently and actually look and see how it's doing. Some of you have those and you look at that every day. Why? Because where your treasure is, there's your heart. Some of you are fanatics about your home and your gardens and all that. And you know what you do? You keep investing there because your heart's there. And again, stocks and homes and all of that, none of those things are bad. Let me come right out front saying that. Those things aren't bad. But you see the correlation. Where we put our treasure, where we invest, our heart's gonna follow that. If your family is where you invest, then your heart is gonna follow along. If you don't have an investment in something, you're not gonna be attached to it. So your heart follows your treasure. Then Jesus said this, no one can serve two masters. If you're gonna hate one and love the other, you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. Jesus makes it very clear that you cannot put his kingdom first and focus on building your kingdom here. So the question that we're gonna wrestle with today is this one right here, is whose kingdom are we building? Whose kingdom? We're gonna build his kingdom or we're gonna try to build our kingdom. You and I, it says, we will be a slave to something. We will be a servant of something. It's either gonna be God or it's gonna be money. That's what Jesus says here. Now that seems simple enough. And if we took a poll, we took a vote right now online and we said, okay, you're gonna be a slave to money or you're gonna be a slave to God. Everybody would pick God because that's the right answer, right? And you just got a hundred on your quiz. Working that out in life is not quite as simple as taking the test, is it? Because that's the real test, is how that plays out. 
Many years ago, I was confronted with this. In my own personal life, had a choice to make. I was in Bible college, preparing for vocational ministry, I thought. But I was also still very vested in my career. And I was balancing them both, doing a great balancing act there. And my investments, a lot of them were kingdom focused. We were giving to the church and things like that and supporting missionaries. But there was still a tension. And now this won't be everyone's tension. Because I felt strongly that God was calling me to a different space. He was calling me to vocational ministry, not the career path that I had chosen. And for those that don't know, uh, the career path I had chosen was the IT industry, and that was back before the IT industry is what it is today. You were just starting to have PCs in, in, in your offices, much less your homes, and on your wrist and things like that. So I was in the IT industry, and I was doing okay and progressing through the ranks and all that. And it was uh, uh, potentially going to be a pretty lucrative career, potentially. But I had this tug towards vocational ministry because I was energized and fulfilled as I was serving God. And I was becoming less and less fulfilled with the IT stuff. And by the way, thank you all the IT people here in the room. I love you to death. Thank you for what you do. Come help us with our computers, please. That's how you can use your time, talent, and treasure for God. Amen. Um, but I'd done the, the sums. I added up all the numbers. If I pursue vocational ministry, it's not quite as lucrative as the IT industry, right? And the numbers didn't add up with the lifestyle and all that and everything, what, what, I, what I thought. And that's bubbling away. And Deanna and I uh, ran across a passage in Scripture. And by the way, we were using something very, very similar to the Seeking Jesus Together Quiet Time tool. That's why you have it. It's because it changed my life. So I think it can change yours too. And we read an Old Testament prophet. And what we read about him changed our lives forever. The prophet Haggai was writing from, uh, to the nation of Israel at a time when they had been released from Babylonian captivity. They were now free, but they hadn't rebuilt the temple yet. And Haggai spoke to Israel, it's God's words to Israel. And we have a copy of that in our Old Testament. And here's chapter one and verse two. It starts out like this. It says, this is what the Lord of heaven's army says. The people are saying the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Why are you living in luxurious houses while my house lies in ruins? That was God's response. And then he says this in verse five. It says, look at what's happening to you. You have planted much, but harvest little. You eat, but you're not satisfied. You drink, but are still thirsty. You put on clothes, but you can't keep warm. Your wages disappear as though you were putting them in pockets filled with holes. As we read that and processed that and tried to say, okay, what is God saying to us about that? It hit us like a ton of bricks. See, Israel was struggling with putting God's kingdom first. They said, it's not time yet. And I thought about the calling that I was experiencing to 
move on from my career and go into vocational ministry. And I realized, I'm saying, it's not time yet. I'm going to Bible college. I'm doing those things, but it's not time yet. He says, your houses are luxurious. Mine is in ruins. And you're finding it all a bit unsatisfying. Always a bit of a struggle. That resonated with me. He says, it's like putting your money into pockets or a bag with holes in it. And, you know, I found that no matter how much money we were bringing in, it was all going out. And that's typical. I figured that out in life, that no matter how much money, money you make, that's how much you spend. And it just works that way because nobody feels like it's enough. He goes on to tell them that this is God saying, I'm literally blowing on that. I'm the reason that you're not finding it satisfied. I'm the reason that you plant a lot, but you only harvest a little and you're drinking, but you're still thirsty. You're eating when you're still hungry and all those things. God was saying, that's me. That's me. If you read on in the passage, it says you're working hard to build your kingdom, but you're forgetting that I'm the one that provides everything. Well, as I said, that really kind of rocked my world and made me answer the question I'm posing to you today is whose kingdom are we building? It was shortly after that that I made the call. I was going to quit my job and trust God. And I was going to Bible college, had a full-time job, had an amazing number of kids. I think I had four already at that point. And, uh, uh, and we just couldn't keep doing it all. I was ministering heaps volunteer-wise. And it just it was not sustainable. And the last thing you would think you're going to do is quit your job because kids like to eat. Did you know that? Yeah, and they want to be warm and they like nice things too and stuff. But anyway, I decided to quit my job and trust God. And that month, unbeknownst to me, it wasn't in the plan. The church brought me on staff full time. So I went from that job to nothing to being full time in the church. And you think, oh yeah, God provided right away. That's great at 60% less money than I was making in my job. And that didn't work on paper. But I can tell you today that we never felt it. We never noticed it. And I'm sure we made lifestyle adjustments and we, 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 we lived on what we made. But God provided. So I'm here to tell you from experience, God can be trusted if you put his kingdom first. And as I said, that's not everybody's going to be everybody's story. Everybody's not called to vocational ministry. That was my story and how I had to trust God. So question then, aside from whose kingdom are you building, is what happens when we put God's kingdom first? Well, you know, I love the early church, and we always go back to the early church and look at some things there. But the early church is one of the most fascinating stories of success because the early church should not have survived. That's the most amazing thing about the church today is it should not have survived. It was a movement by human standards that shouldn't have moved. <laughs> you know, they were not organized first century Christians. They had no buildings. They weren't recognized by the government. They were social outcasts and society actually considered them a cult. For the first 300 years, they were persecuted by those in power, and many of them were even tortured physically, yet the movement continued to grow. That's why we're here today, because of all of that. 
Historians have spent a lot of time and energy and effort to try to understand why did this strange movement continue to grow? How did that happen? And they reached a surprising conclusion. The movement of first century Christianity was not propelled by wealth. They had none. It was not their theology. They had strange beliefs. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus and you have been for a little while, we understand that it was the supernatural power of God and the Holy Spirit working that not only sustained it, but made it thrive, okay? We know that. History tells us that a key factor God used was the compassion and generosity of Christians. They didn't have a lot, but they gave what they had. History tells us that they grew because they were generous. That was extremely countercultural to that first century, to Greek and Roman culture. Their principle of living could be summed up in a word called this, liberalitas. Say that with me. Liberalitas. All right, you're not even awake. That's why I'm saying, having you say something because I got to wake you back up. Liberalitas. Say it with me. Okay, all right, that's average, good. All right, but that word liberalitas is a Latin word that means that you give in order to get something in return. So people on the surface were behaving generously, it would look like, but there was a motive. If I give you something, then I'm waiting now to see, okay, you're gonna give me something back. And you're gonna give me something back better than what I gave you because you're trying to outdo me. And then it's gonna be a vicious cycle there where we just keep doing that. And, and, and that can be a lot of fun. But Jesus presented a new paradigm. He said, my kingdom is going to be different. I'm going to flip that on its head. Jesus taught things like lend, expecting not to get it back. He said, do good to those who are not able to return it back to you. He taught that even unbelievers love those who treat them well. He told a story one time about a Samaritan man who was walking down the street and he got robbed and left, got beaten and left for dead. And then three people walked by, uh, a priest and then a, uh, church, a, a temple attendant and then a Samaritan. And the Samaritan was the one that stopped and helped him. And if you've been in church for about 20 minutes, you know uh, this story. And the Samaritan helped him. But the point of that story was the Samaritan was not someone that should have helped him societally. In fact, the guy that got beat up and left for dead wouldn't have wanted the Samaritan to help him. But Jesus used that story to show what it means to live generously, to show compassion on other people. He also taught that the greatest in his kingdom is the one who is the greatest servant. He did a lot of teaching about this paradigm being flipped upside down, about what it means to be great in the kingdom. But then he demonstrated it. He showed the humility of living generously on his last night on earth with his disciples, last dinner before his crucifixion. He's the leader. He's the most powerful person in that room. He was the head of a growing movement. They were all looking to him. They were all jockeying for position to be seated at his right hand in the, in the coming kingdom. And this powerful man, the leader of the movement, stopped, put on a towel around his waist and a basin of water, 
and went around and washed their feet. Jesus said, my kingdom is different. This is not normal. This is not what you would expect. Remember, we defined generosity the first week as doing what's unexpected. It's unexpected over and above. Following his resurrection, the disciples lived out that kingdom first lifestyle. And the results are recorded in the book of Acts. And we know that they shared all their stuff. They didn't see it as their own. And God added to the church daily because they were being stewards, not owners. And just a side note, you know what? They were also stewarding, and we could do a whole other series on this. They were stewarding the gospel message that Jesus came to earth to die for sinners and that we believe in him and accept him to have a relationship with God. That's how God was using them to grow the church. It was noticed in society. And one example is a guy called St. Pacomius the Great. And he wasn't always a saint. Pacomius was born to an Egyptian family. And they were unbelievers. When he was about 20 years old, the Romans conquered his hometown and they took him and some of the other young men. This is the way they always did it. They captured them and took them and put them in prison so they could train them to be soldiers in the Roman army. There was a famine that hit and many of the prisoners uh, were, were going hungry and starting to starve. And the Romans would have just said, okay, well, there's not enough food for everybody, so we'll just let them go. But there was people in the community that night after night would come and they would put food in through the cell bars, through the bars, feeding these prisoners. Pacomius was intrigued by that kindness. Like, who cares about us? And he made a commitment to himself. He said, when I get out, when I'm done with my service in the army, if I survive all that, I'm going to figure out who those people are. Well, all of that happened. And when he figured out who they were, he realized that it was Christians, followers of the way. And he decided to become a believer, a follower of Jesus himself. And he became St. Pacomius the Great because he is credited with the movement of monasteries where people could go and dedicate their lives to, to just seeking Jesus. That's all that they would do. And he created monasteries and built places that they could live and be safe and have that communion with Jesus. Christians reshaped the Roman Empire by their generosity. There's another story. There was a Roman emperor called Julian, and he tried to shift the empire back to polytheism and paganism because he didn't like what the Christians had done. He didn't like people pointing to Jesus. He failed in his attempt, and he wrote this. He said this, the impious Galileans, followers of Jesus, support not only their poor, but ours as well. His attempt to discredit Christianity and wipe it out failed because the Christians were so generous, because they were taking care of their own as well as the people that weren't their own, as well as their enemies. They were being generous. So what does it look like to practically seek his kingdom in 2024? What does that look like for you and I today? Well, it means that we invest our lives in seeking his kingdom. We align our lives with the things that requires to seek his kingdom. In all we do, we approach it with a kingdom first mentality, seeking his kingdom first. We choose to flip that paradigm upside down 
where the world says power and prestige and position, money, stuff, and all of that, we say no, kingdom first. And friends, that includes everything about our lives, but it does include our finances. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2 says, on the first day of each week, you should each put aside a portion of the money you have earned. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, this is the Apostle Paul writing. He says, you must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And God will, get, will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need. And plenty left over to share with others. A lot of teaching in the New Testament on giving. That's kind of a summary of it. So the question is, how can we live generously with a kingdom first plan? How can we act, action this? You have to determine what that's going to look like. And I'll tell you how there, there was a, a priest, a pastor, and a rabbi who were out playing golf, and they were trying to decide how much they should give, right? So the priest says, well, here's how I do it. I draw a circle on the ground, and I take all my money, and I throw it up in the air, and whatever lands outside the circle... I give to God, okay? Then the rabbi said, well, actually, I, I do something similar. I draw the circle, but when I throw my money up in the air, I throw it way up, and everything that falls inside the circle, I give to God. Then the pastor said, oh, guys, you got this all wrong. You, you, you're actually losing out. Because here's how I do it, is I take all my money, and I throw it up in the air, and what God wants, he keeps. Now, as you're trying to establish a plan, what does a kingdom first plan look like? You can try that if you like. But I'm gonna to suggest to you there's actually a better way. First of all, make it your first priority. Make giving to the kingdom your first priority. Set it aside first. Make it the first transaction out of your bank account when you get paid. You say, make it the first check you write. And if you wanna know about checks, Google it. It's ancient history. <laughs> Make it a priority, but then predetermine how much. Predetermine how much. Decide beforehand. See, if you don't decide beforehand, then what you're going to do is you're going to give spontaneously. When there is an appeal for something, you're going to just respond uh, to that. That doesn't put the kingdom first consistently. And I would suggest it's also not in keeping with the, uh, the stewardship principle where we're being good stewards of everything that God has given us. And now you might be sitting there thinking, but what about when you do stand up there and ask for spontaneous giving? I would suggest that in your budgeting, in your predetermination, you plan for some spontaneous giving and you set aside some money that says, hey, there's gonna be things come up that I wanna give to that I don't know about right now. So I'm going to put some money aside for that. So make it a priority, predetermine, and then make it a percentage. Give a percentage. When you predetermine, make it a percentage of your income. Decide up front that you're going to live on a percentage of your income. Did you know right now you do live on a percentage of your income? It might be 110%, right? Or 120%, right? but you live on a percentage. Decide what that's going to be. If you're already doing that, or if you're not already doing that, can I suggest a challenge to you is that for the next couple of months, start living on 90% of your income and giving away 10%. See how that works out for you. And then for those of you that are already doing that, you're already on a percentage. 
Can I suggest that you make it progressive? Make that percentage progressive. What do I mean by that? Well, think about it. If you determined years ago that you would give 10% of your income to Kingdom Word, and you were making $40,000 a year at the time, then you started giving $4,000 a year to Kingdom Work and living on $36,000, right? You don't have to be a rocket scientist and even good at math to get that far. Now, many years on, you're making $100,000 and you're still giving 10%. So now you're giving not 4,000, but you're giving $10,000 a year to Kingdom Work. And you're living on what? $90,000, right? You see the discrepancy there? What you were giving to kingdom work? Make your percentage progressive. If God has blessed you and you can do more than 10%, and, and the way to start this is not like, oh, well, I'll do 20 or I'll do 30. Or... Go to 11, go to 12. Try just a little bit of an increase. Make that progressive. The challenge last week was track your spending for 30 days. Track your time for 30 days. I want to challenge you today, for the next 60 days, live on a percentage of your income. That's what I'm challenging you to take on today. And you and I, we have a choice to make with this challenge. We can live following the systems and structures of society, the normal. Here's the normal paradigm. When we're talking about money, we spend our money on living. If there's anything left, then some saving. And then if there's anything left after that, then we might do some giving. This is what I call this. This is me first living with some leftover giving, okay? And that's normal. So if that's you, don't feel bad. You're normal. Who wants to be normal? All right, the church does not attract normal people, right? right? So I want to suggest to you that we flip this paradigm, okay? We're going to flip this to a living generously paradigm that starts with the giving. Then the saving. Saving is important. And then the living. And what you call this, it's not the me first living with leftover giving. This is generous in giving because I'm kingdom first living. That, friends, is how you will live generously. And I encourage you, challenge you today. Give it a try. If it doesn't work, come talk to me. Come tell me, hey, I tried what you said. It flat out didn't work. Now I'm broke. Give me some money. And I'll say, we've got a, a community meal on Thursday night. Here's a gift card. We actually would help you. But friends, I know from my own experience, and I believe from everything that I read in this book, that if you try this, it actually works. Does that mean you're going to sit in the lap of luxury, have everything that your heart wants? Not necessarily. But you're going to have everything you need. And you're going to be obedient to what Jesus said when he says, seek first the kingdom of God and live righteously. And he will supply everything you need. Father, thank you for teaching us about money. And Lord, it's always uh, challenging when we talk about money in church. And you know that. But Lord, you talked about it, so we don't want to shy away from talking about it. And Lord, when... It's, it's easy to get up here and talk about these things and, and show how we should do it. But Lord, we've all got bills to pay. And some of us are 
in different places. Some of us don't know how we're going to pay the bills next month or even next week. So we try to apply this. We think that, 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 that's not even relevant to my situation. The Lord, you have promised to meet our needs. And you tell us that if we put your kingdom first, you'll supply. Give us faith. Help us trust you, even when it might not make sense, so that we can be kingdom first living. In Jesus' name, amen.